You're listening to Getting Lit with Linda Mora, the podcast where we welcome you to get lit. Canadian lit, that is. Join Linda as she talks about authors in Canada and sometimes with them, using her expertise to shed some light on recent and not-so-recent writers. And now, get ready for Getting Lit with Linda. Hi, this is Linda Mora, the writer and host of Getting Lit with Linda. I'm recording today's episode at Simon Fraser University, which is situated on the unceded traditional territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Tsleil-Waututh, Coquitlam, Squamish, and Musqueam nations. So you might hear a little bit of bustle in the background, some opening and closing of doors, and so on, in the English department hallways of Simon Fraser. Today I'm talking with Shawnee Mutu, writer, visual artist, and video maker. She's had multiple art exhibits and directed several videos. She was born in Dublin, Ireland. She grew up in Trinidad and relocated at the age of 19 to Vancouver, British Columbia, although she currently lives in Ontario. She's a prolific and highly recognized author, having published out on Main Street in 1993, which was followed by one of the most exquisite novels I've ever had the opportunity to read, Serious Blooms at Night, which was shortlisted for the Scotiabank Giller Prize. She also published her first book of poetry, The Predicament of Ore, in 2001, and most recently, Polar Vortex in 2020, which was also shortlisted for the Scotiabank Giller Prize. She's poised to release her collection of poetry, Cane Fire, in just a little less than a month with Book Hug. Today's discussion focuses on Cane Fire, but also makes reference to her archival materials held at Simon Fraser University, where a forthcoming on-site exhibit about women's writers' archives and archival materials is soon to be staged. Stay tuned to our social media presence to find out more about that. And this includes Shawnee's work, both literary and visual. I hope you enjoy today's episode for International Women's Day, this conversation with Shawnee Mutu. Shawnee, welcome to Getting Lit with Linda. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to be doing this with you. Um, We've had a few chances to chat together in the past, one of these being several years ago in Ireland. Uh, And that's actually the first time I met you in person. That's right. I thought it would be relevant, actually, to talk about (laughs) that. So perhaps you could begin with an explanation of or recounting of your your lineage. Yes. um, Well, it's interesting to think about lineage right now, uh, for me to think about lineage right now. And and I'll tell you why in a minute. But um, I can't really say that Ireland is in my heritage other than that I was born there, which is very special to me. It's a a country that um, I have fallen in love with um, only recently because um, when I was born, um, my my father was studying medicine in Ireland and my parents, three months after I was born, took me back to Trinidad or took me to Trinidad where they are from. And I stayed in Trinidad and I only recently went to Ireland one time before we met. And I think mm. we, w- when did we meet? In 1917, I think. 2017, yes. 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 So um, when we met, that was the second time. And I spent a longer time then and fell in love with the place. But, you know, the interesting thing is that we grew up at home, three of us were born in Ireland, and we grew up at home with lots of stories about Ireland, about mummies um, and daddies' um, time there. And also my, my sister and brother, who were born after me and actually lived in Ireland for a while, and then my brother went to school at the Royal College of mm-hmm. Surgeons at the same, the same place that daddy did. They talk about Ireland a lot. So there's that in the family, as well as we have a lot of friends my parents' friends, who's, who, many of them are men who married, Trinidadian men who married Irish women. No and, kidding. Uh, yes, and daddy's, daddy's years there. And so they came back and they brought a bit of Ireland with them when they came. So there's that, but really only that. I think I was thinking about 
I was thinking about lineages in relation to your new collection of poetry, which is what I, I was hoping we could speak about today, Cane Fire. Although I will also be referring to your significant cache of papers at Simon Fraser University. So anyone out there who wants to work on Shani Mutu's literary work and other forms of work will probably want to know that. But I thought we could start with Cane Fire, which has come out with Book Hug Press. Um, and it's your second collection, The Predicament of Ore being the first. Do I have that right? That's right. Yes, yes. A long time in between books of poetry. But, I, you know, in that time I had work in anthologies and journals and so on. But I had been collecting work, actually, for a book. And that would have been Cane Fire. But once I got down to preparing Cane Fire, it ended up being new poems, all new except two. No kidding. So you did think of it yes. properly as an anthology that you were developing um, as a coherent whole. Well, at one time I did. And then, and then as soon as I started um, to work on it, <laughs> you know, I presented this mass to, to Bookhug, to Jay and um, Hazel, the publishers at Bookhug, I presented it to them. And once I gave them that, I started working on new stuff. And it's the new stuff that became Cane Fire because I became very excited about that. So, so there's still all that other, all those other poems. Wow. Yeah. Cane Fire, could we talk about the title? Why, why came, what Cane Fire is and why you titled it Cane Fire? So Cane is very much a part of uh, Trinidadian's life, especially a Trinidadian of my age and an Indo-Trinidadian as well. When I say of my age, about maybe, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, the sugarcane industry sort of dried up in Trinidad. But when I was growing up, there were so many cane fields that have all, you know, been um, mowed down now mm. and residential areas. But it was the life of the Indian person. You know, that's how Indians came to Trinidad to uh, replace the, the, the freed enslaved people, Africans, mm -hmm. at the end of um, the 19th century, or mid-19th mid century to the end. And then, so that's, that's, our, that's our heritage, really, mm -hmm. sugarcane. And one of the things that the farmers used to do the, uh, is um, burn the cane for two reasons. One is it got rid of all the snakes and scorpions and so on. Oh, I didn't know that. Thrive. Yeah, that thrive in the um, in the cane fields, and you've got poisonous snakes, like seriously poisonous snakes, and so on in there. But the second thing is, it also damages, in a kind of a way, the sugar the sugar content in the cane, and it has to be used quickly. Mm. So if you get your cane to 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 the estate a factory mm -hmm. where um, it's turned into sugar or rum or whatever. It has to be used quickly, and so people get paid sooner. Now, I named it that not only because that is so much a part of my um, my life and my memory, but the poems in Cane Fire are very much, they start out very much about my early life in Trinidad and, and then carry on to, to the present day. But that early life, Yes, there's the cane, but there's so many fires as well, mm. metaphorical mm. fires. Mm. And um, that's what I was referring to. But, you know, cane fire, there's the sweetness of the cane, the sweetness of the fire smell. It's so, it's such a powerful um, provoker of memories for me. And I do mention it. And in fact, I can read um, one of the poems for you. I would love that. We would. I'm sure the listeners would love that. That'd be terrific. Okay. So I'm going to read 2,540 miles. That's what it's called. This one talks specifically of the Cane Ash town. And I will just, um, I'll read this first. But in fact, it might make even better sense 
when I read another one to you in a short while, okay? But I'll read this one first. So 2,540 miles. Upon her tongue the phantom marble twirls. In foreign's bed, absence stretches full length beside her. The cane-ashed town, ticklish lover, jealous custodian a blue in sepia. Nights, she bolts upright, skin sticky with recall. The window open, no air a swirl. The Syrian, his bicycle, the bell bellowed his wares. Olive oil, ilang, ilang, clothespins, vetive. A sari flutters in the sky, loop-de-loops, disambiguates the sitar's drone. On her side of spear-tipped fences painted silver, pink poncetia on the other side. The silver-haired drunk man, a handsome man wailed for his glass-eyed mother. Blind birds flew through cane fire sweetened air. Between thumb and forefinger, a phantom of marble, crimson air, out of the wound of night seeps chimera. Absence, a clever lover, supine beside her. Beautiful. Thank you. So you've actually got the words there. When you referenced how Cane Fire was about your past, um, what I felt was that the book in its division between three sections is about the past and, or a very remote past, a more recent past, and a present. Yes. Is that what you had in mind when you divided it up into three in that way, that kind of temporal division? Yes, but you know, when, when, I mean, one of the things that I love about entering the project of working on a book for me is that I work on it I sort of enter this world in my brain that just takes me and takes me one thing building on the next I don't really know where it's going if I have a plan it looks too planned and 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 it will fall apart actually partly because I love exploration and discovery, um, invention, exploration are what keep me going. So it's best that I don't have a plan. And what I've learned after all these years of making, you know, making the the videos and um, writing and all the work that I do, painting and everything, is that I can trust that the brain is like a little universe when I get into these work periods and something is happening in that universe and it will come together and it will make sense because the universe is a, is a, is a place of sense, you know, of um, chronology even that I don't even recognize is going to be there. So when I was writing this book, I was sort of just going along and going along, just trusting, not even realizing, in fact, that one poem was, in fact, leading to another. And it's only at the end when I was working with my brilliant, brilliant editor, Sandra Ridley, herself a poet, um, that we realized, uh, along with uh, Jane Hazel, actually, we realized that this, this book fell into three sections and so that's the other thing that I love. And, and mm-hmm. I I got that love early, long before I w- entered um, actual publishing and so on, in video making. Because it's hard to make a video, especially in my day when, you know, video was analog and there weren't um, cell phones and so on to do the videoing. Exactly, yes. You, you, needed, you, you needed a crew around you. And I loved the um, I loved working with other people and the brainstorming and so on. So to be honest, one of the most enjoyable aspects of writing for me is that editing period aspect. Now they don't touch my work in the sense of from you know like on a on a word level, right? But in terms of seeing like, well, should this go before or after, or should we divide up the book? That sort of thing. 
It's interesting. So you're speaking about a kind of collaboration, even though you are the artist proper. There is a kind of collaborative element that you also clearly enjoy that that yeah. was a part of or fundamental to the video making process as well. Yes, and I can tell you, I can tell you another aspect of collaboration with Keen Fire, mm. which is, um, do you want to hear that? Like, yes, please, by all means. Yes, yes, yes. When I began Keen Fire, it was right after um, Polar Vortex. So when I say mm. when I began Keen Fire, I mean, um, I'd already sent a manuscript off to Booker, a manuscript of poetry. But then I got very excited um, by this new set of um, ideas that I had. And there were, um, mm. in fact, photocopied artworks that I wanted to use along with, uh, with, with poems. I wanted to put a book together that included both sets of things. And I wanted to use the page of the, of the book as a canvas on which the words would, uh, would, they would be there as in, you know, as words appear on a book, but they would be spaced in such a way that you had to move around and read it as if you were reading a painting. And I wanted to include the, um, the, uh, the photocopied works, a few, few of the photocopied works that I had done quite a while mm -hmm. ago when I was in Vancouver, living in Vancouver. And I didn't know how to do that myself. I knew I could see what I wanted, but I, I didn't know how to do it. And my photography printer, who is really brilliant, I was saying to him, talking to him, saying, you know, I'm doing this and I'm, I wish I knew someone who could, um, who, who knew how to put it together. And he said, Shani, I teach, I design, which is a, a program, right? Yes. And he took my manuscript. I sat next to him and we put it together so that I could hand it to Book Hug the way I wanted it. So I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a poem in the collection um, where we have these words that are interspersed with images. It begins with beware. Oh, yes. And then if I flip the insider, and then if I flip the page again, who tries to break out? I love it. I absolutely. Yes. Beware the insider who tries to break out out and it's accompanied on each page by a section of a, a one work i cut that that work into five um five pieces and a, a piece appears with each each um set of words and that's an image of me you know, I so enjoyed making these images. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how I made them in, in a minute. <laughs> it's um, it's an image of me, of my face, on the body of. There's it's half. It's uh, the body is cut in half, right down from you know um, a vertical line, half a female body, half a male body. And they're Doc Martens underwear people, uh, ad advertisement people, um, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my head is attached to that. And the the background is um, one of um, a, a composite of um, one of the mountains in Banff, which is one of my favorite places on earth, right? And I was able to put this together because Xerox Canada had given me a kind of a almost like a residency with one of their very very large machines in Vancouver and told me work on it for three months when no one was in the <laughs> office and so I just got to play with um with, with this machine and I did a lot a lot of work and an exhibition came out of that actually that went to the Venice Biennale in 1995 of many of these pieces so some of those things that you have seen at the um in the archives are actually from that uh -huh. show anyway you know a lot of these pieces they they just accumulated um i did not show them and 
listeners won't know this, but um, just before we started the interview, we were talking about some images that I'd like to pull from the Simon Fraser University archives. So I wonder if you could speak to those images while you're addressing that kind of that kind of technique that you're talking about now. Right. So, um, so I put, uh, you know, things like flowers and so on on the glass of the um, of the photocopy machine. I wrote poems, incorporated those onto paper, tore paper up, ran it through the machine. Um, when that paper came out, uh, scrunched it up, put it back through. And um, so, so the the images are very, very layered, and um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I don't have those images now, unfortunately. I may have them in my studio somewhere, but I don't have access to them. But you have, uh, you have them. Are you able to read them? There, there's the one about Salam yes. Kamara. If you can read that, that one, I can. Then I'll tell you where that came from. I just want to tell you that whenever we talk, when you look at me and smile, ripples of exquisite shivers, your mouth, my tongue, your neck, you said to me that backless bras are perfect for playful bondage. So I think the, I think the image around those words is the Solanum Dokamara actually. Um, the, the the berry and in my first book of poetry the predicament of ore I the, uh, the the poem that is called the predicament of ore um, is in 12 parts and the 10th part this is how it goes mm. solanum dulcamara violet and mustard fluorescent red bitter succulence somnambulism teasing sedation. In the heat of summer, when Solanum Dulcamara sweeps city sidewalks, cracks pavement, footstools every post, street corners and fields ablaze, berries burst juices and whisper your name. In the heat of summer, when Solanum Dulcamara creeps and blows, your scent, air, oxygen itself, I dream of you. Only you, and touch myself, my sweet Solanum Dulcamara, Lathyrus Japanicus. You know, it's kind of interesting. I wow. notice I don't write what people at one time called um, somewhat erotic poetry. I guess I didn't think of it as erotic poetry, but I've oh, been. I, I think it has elements of that. <laughs> oh yes. But I think, so I, I would have written those in the early, um, or maybe mid-90s or something. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's interesting to me that you're going through the archives. I wonder if you will see an arc, in fact. Mm-hmm. Because in the early days of being an artist in Vancouver, I was fighting many, many things personally, trying to be visible Mm -hmm. as a person of color, Mm -hmm. trying to be invisible as a lesbian, but visible Mm -hmm. to certain kinds of people, certain groups of people. And it's a tricky balance. (laughs) (laughs) So, So you're writing, my writing was constantly an attempt to express what I was feeling, how I was feeling. Like I was bursting with this identity that had to be that had to be covered up most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so you got it. You got it in, in the artwork and in the in the videos and the and, and you know the, the writing and so on. Once I began to be comfortable and this has a lot to do, my comfort has a lot to do with the, I wouldn't say it's a full acceptance at all, mm. but the movement, the visibility of people of color and the visibility and acceptance of, um, of um, queer people 
in in the country throughout the country mm. it you know it was a slow movement but as that happened and i became more insistent and comfortable being everything that i am and not hiding mm -hmm. it's as if it's as if i didn't have to put that writing out quite so intensely and i could get on with the bigger stories around those situations so the novels you know they got they got bigger and mm -hmm. more in depth and so on i mean i love the you know the what the novel can do and then what the poetry can do do they do different things that was one of the questions that i had although my mind now is racing with other things yes. i wanted to ask you so for example you've just been talking about this kind of increasing sense of openness or vulnerability which almost seems like a contradiction of this kind of layered approach you're addressing in terms of cane fire but also some of your other work that is for example in the archives where you have this kind of building up of image on top of image on top so you're covering in some ways or creating a kind of archaeology at the same time as you're uncovering, yes. becoming more vulnerable and open. Is that is that right? Oh, absolutely. And it's, you said it very well, actually. Mm. That seems to be a kind of technique that you're using. But let's return back to then the question of poetry and novels, because you are, or even videography, you're, you're moving from one genre to another. And so obviously they accomplish different ends. Could you speak about the different ends you're trying to accomplish? Why do you... Why do you use these different media? What I've noticed is often one is a relief from the hard work or the hard body of work of another one. Mm. So it could be during uh, writing, uh, the writing of a novel. I may have to take breaks and um, I would uh, either write poetry or I would do photography or something. But sometimes also it is that a work cannot be expressed in one genre. It has to be in another. Mm. And also sometimes, you know, facilities. Like I, when when I was in Vancouver, the, the video world in Vancouver was so generous with me. Oh. The people at Video In uh, and, you know, Laura Boschman, Paul Wong, um, they really, really supported my video work so much that so there were always people wanting to work with me. I don't have that here, mm. so I have the desire to make videos, but the technology I don't have it at my fingertips. And where I'm living, it's not easy to have it. In terms of um, the poetry, what I find with um, with a novel, sometimes I want to explore why. I want to explore why, why, why. How come? What happened that caused this? And you want a whole novel to give you that story. In, in a poem, I want to pare that back down and the essence of something in a shorter work. In a shorter work, sometimes a sentence, sometimes um, a word, so that you're hit with it more instantly. And sometimes for me, it's a kind of an amazement mm. or a revelation or the need to say, oh my God, this is like this. But mm -hmm. to tell a whole story about it kills it. So in that small moment of a poem, it's much better captured and delivered it's about an it's about impact it's it's interesting to me that you're that you differentiate in this way that novels have scope but poetry it's about that kind of that condensed or pithy impact because the other thing that i found with cane fire is that you do have this kind of balance between scope and immediate impact it's both well you see i am a storyteller in all my work i'm storytelling right so the poems are stories as well, but they are the moment of something happening, or the or the it's a big feeling. It's and and the mm -hmm. and the the novel does the whole big picture, whereas the um, the poem tells the story, but it 
grabs it. It doesn't go into all the fine details of the entire trip. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking that when I read through it, it felt like there is a sense of a larger, you are a storyteller. It felt like there was a sense of this larger story that you were addressing in these kind of multiple windows or access points. Um, and so there are many of the poems were about perspective, about shifting perspective, and even about merging perspectives. So I, I wondered how much you also take that into consideration when you're writing a poem, the idea of perspective and shifting perspectives and or merging perspectives in terms of conflating gender or um, for example, in the first poem, it's the mother and child who are both looking at the same moment. Uh, so you're representing their their perspective simultaneously. It almost feels like you're experimenting with cubism in some of these poems, if you know what I mean, the multiple perspectives laid out flat. Yeah. I don't think about it as a strategy, I, one of the things that I enjoy doing is going into this kind of, um, I, I don't want it to sound too too much like it's some kind of altered state. It's not an altered state, but I want to let myself go and things may come to me. And I want to trust that what comes to me when I'm working on a particular thing, even if that thing, even if mm-hmm. what is coming to me appears to be obtuse if it comes to me to trust that if it comes to me in this moment it must have some relationship Mm. now you can't do that with a straightforward novel but with poetry i find i can pull all these strange little bits 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 from songs bits from um you know like um there's one that has my grandfather rocking me um on 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 his um chair in the evening and he's singing um hymns to me and i've got my experience and then off to the right oh this is the other thing that um, i play with a lot Mm -hmm. there's the main narrative Mm -hmm. of the story i'm telling in the poems exactly usually on the left hand side and then there is my voice that comes out and my my logical or or um or, or what um, cynical or sarcastic mm-hmm. or fun voice that comes in on the right hand side uh, along the page on the right hand side, and so you've got the um, you've got the songs, the hymns on the right hand side, lines from them, as I do this other thing on the left hand side, and um, that that you can do in in the poems you can't do that in the book i can't anyway i'm not writing experimental prose (laughs) but that's exactly what i meant well i'm not writing experimental prose because i actually want very much to say things um to try to get to truths and the funny thing is in poetry i find that in juxtaposing these different moments of um within a single poem different moments of realizations or storytelling or so on. You get to deeper truths, but in a different way than the way you do in, in the novels, the way I do in the novels that I write. But I can't afford, I, I can't afford flights of fancy or um, tricks and stuff like that, because those are kind of like telling little lies that trouble me. It's interesting that you're saying that you're after these kind of truths because one of the things that also came out or the surfaces in Cane Fire is the difficulty of knowing those truths and apprehending a family history or history at all. So there is the the lines, the word truth dissipates sugar in rain. And I I sat back when I read that particular lyric thinking, it's so it is so difficult, but then you counterbalance that with these wonderful, evocative, the drawerfuls of time, these rich, evocative details yes. related to memory that yes. somehow ground the truth anyway. Does that make any sense? Is that what? Oh yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's kind of funny because um, I was so one of the things that I'm working on right now is a memoir. Oh, great. Um, but it's a memoir of an early time. And um, so, you know, it's not like an autobiography. It's not a full mm-hmm. life thing. It's a memoir of a very specific time. 
and um that time period it's funny when i typical of memoir when i say to my siblings do you remember this they say no <laughs> no that's not yeah. how it happened oh yes right? so so in the poetry i kind of more or less um say you know in, in one of them i say what um so in this poem i say was i and therefore am but when there's no one in the forest what harm in recomposing photographs were in any case blurry apportioned chiseled words evoke wedges something akin to something scattered across the dream below seashell shards tossed up in the foam a fold in time my river flows upwards my river flows backwards mm. close enough has to be close enough and so you know it's um i mean poem goes on but i am owning up to the fact that to try to remember i may have to patch the pieces together as a storyteller but the other thing is remember like i'm 64 right mm. after having gone through an illness that um really set me back for a good two years and and more but had, you know it 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 made me think a lot about time about how much time is left and about what i want to as a writer what i want to do and what i found myself wanting to do was to put down the things was to create this world mm. that i remember and it is fast fast passing as people around you like your parents and um aunts and uncles people who could especially when when you're living in a country where mm. those kinds of people don't live you don't have a picture around you you don't have people constantly creating that picture reminding you of who you are so in a kind of a way sometimes you have to make up who you are oh, yes. in order to have a, a past to have a history and i found myself thinking i need to put this down fast i may forget at some point at some point mm-hmm. i'm watching my father forget a lot of things right now and i i i don't i don't want to forget these amazing aspects mm-hmm. of my background now if you notice in cane fire there's very little struggle about being lesbian there isn't the there, there isn't the the aspect of work that mm-hmm. you might find in other bodies of work um of the sexual abuse and so on so i'm not telling a lie by leaving it out i'm just leaving it out and concentrating on other things and these other things are things that mean a lot to me that i have not really written about but no as i was saying like so i'm working on this memoir and there are aspects of the memoir that mm-hmm. are that have in fact gotten into cane fire and in the memoir they are in such detail in the in the prose memoir they are in such detail that it's an entirely different work and in cane fire you can see you can see they're the same same material but in cane fire it's faster and and uh more encapsulated there are it's interesting that you should say this because i felt like that there were connections that i was making with your other work so um for example uh, serious blooms at night um as one example but i was also thinking of as you know i i love your your artwork the uh, the some of the pieces at at the eno yes. gallery um in prince edward county um you have the work powder bowl yes. for example which is one of my favorite of your pieces oh. and so there is there is a piece in cane fire that is resonant in the same it seemed oh it is yeah it is a it is a kind of tie into powder bowl i thought oh, yeah. so Yeah. And so there is this kind of you're working and connecting to your other art forms in this really detailed and rich way. 
but not just your art forms, also to other, you've referenced the poem, for example, in which you said you're sitting on your grandfather's lap and there's a rocking chair. And so you're making reference to hymns, for example, and to, um, to children's nursery rhymes. So there's this kind of really rich, textured, layered approach to King Fire. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about that, then the illusions, which I think involve, to some extent, even your readers filling in some of the gaps. Um, so they have to complete the rhymes or the musical lyrics. And you're saying that you're not addressing certain themes or topics that you've addressed before, but you do allude to them. And some of it, I think, requires some of your readers to be invested in putting some of that work together, putting the pieces, helping to put some of the pieces together. For example, one of the lines that that repeats in variations is starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight, I wish I may, I wish I might have this wish, I wish tonight, which made me think of why would a child want to wish something? What circumstance are they in such that they would want to wish on a star? Well, the child in that poem, the child says, what do, what can I wish for? I have everything. And so, so actually there's another version of that poem. Well, not another version, but a draft that, and, and what's in the book is, is the final thing. But in the draft, it was like, what, it made me wonder what he was wishing for. What did he not have that he was wishing for? But you're absolutely right. I mean, there are all these uh, these things in my work from one from one work to the next, but one genre to the next to the other, um, where um, I'm basically mm-hmm. using the same you know the same material, and um, a lot of it comes from my life, my world, the the stories, like for instance, the stories mm. in the novels are not my personal stories, like Sirius Blooms at Night, He Drowned She in the Sea, Valmiki's Daughter, Moving Forward, um, Polar Vortex. They're not my personal stories, but I draw on the emotions, on the visuals, on the things that I've seen, heard around me and so and they play constantly. And I was thinking that I'm not reaching outside of myself to find material way outside of myself Mm. to say, talk. I'm not trying to write a story about a little boy in New Zealand or in Mumbai Mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm writing my life constantly in many, many different forms. And I'm contradicting a lot because I think I believe contradiction is like extremely, extremely important. But the manuscript that I'm working on right now, it's so mm-hmm. it's so funny, you know, it's so interesting to me. I'm looking for my origins, the, the, the thing that I'm working on now, I'm looking, so so I'm working on the memoir as well as a, uh, another book of poetry. And actually, I sent it into Book Hug. They've already got it. But um, it, it's basically an attempt to find my origins. And when you're an indentured, when you come from indentured origins, as in mm. your family somehow came from India on a ship, and ended up on a sugar estate mm-hmm. in Trinidad. It's hard to go back. It's hard to find what happened before that the, the, the person on the ship landed in Trinidad. You know they were on the ship, but maybe the um, the archival material has where they came from, but you don't know where that village is or who the people are and so on. But you know, there's a um, uh, there's a thing nowadays in literature where people like myself were being asked, writers like myself were being asked, asked if we think that journey has has created who we are. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, that, that journey actually began in 
1492 with Columbus. So I started looking at my history and realizing that my history, my ancestry, actually, this might sound a little crazy, but it goes all the way back to Columbus, to Queen Isabella of Spain, to the black pepper that Columbus had gone in search of, trying to find the black pepper in in India. And that's what, you know, the killing of all the native people in the uh, in the Caribbean. Somebody had to, to tend the, um, the agricultural mm. fields, to be in the mines and so on. And this is what they got the Africans to come over and do. And then when they, the, the, the Africans were emancipated, they needed someone else to work the fields. And so they got the Indians. And so if I cannot trace my ancestry in terms of a human being beyond the people who are on that boat, I can trace it right back to Queen Isabella sending, um, you know, what's his name, Columbus to, so, so it's the first time really that I'm looking well outside of myself. And yet I feel it's not outside of myself. But that manuscript has a lot, a lot of history in it. Cane fire or or the memoir? The the new the new poetry. The new poetry. You don't have to put any of that in. Oh, I'm putting that in. <laughs> I just want to make sure I understood. So this is the new collection of poetry. Yes. Mm. Yes. As yet untitled. But talking about the process of writing, you know, how you find your stories and mm-hmm. looking how far you look outside of yourself. And in my case, I look so far outside. But to find my ancestry and I go all the way to Columbus and yet it is right there it's right there (laughs) in in my story in the story of Trinidad in the story of the Caribbean I contain multiple worlds within me (laughs) yes (laughs) Mm, that's really good Um, I had a, a question about your the role of the writer in a larger culture and I think you're you're already in a way answering it. What the role of the writer is, even writing a, a history, a personal one, becomes a much larger collective one. Well, and so that they're they're not indiscriminate. Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting question. This week, in particular. Oh yes, right. What what am I writing? And you know, every every day I wake up and I go to the computer and I think to myself, of what use is this? work that I am doing that is all about myself, about my world. I think about um, all the events that are coming up around Cane Fire and how dare we, how dare we talk about our work, our private stories at this particular time. And yet I feel that it is more important now than ever that a few Mm -hmm. things that we give that we insist on a kind of pleasure that come, that that art can give, for one thing. Also, we insist on mm-hmm. the humanism that art can give, and we um, we we also when we write these stories, like a few people have read Cane Fire, and have said to me, I have said um. Do you find do do you find them so personal that you um, you can't relate to them? And they said no. Some of these stories are their own stories, different um, Mm. different details, but the feeling of them, they know the feeling. And I think it's so important Mm -hmm. for us. I'm not a soldier. I'm not a warrior, but if I can connect with you on a very human level, then maybe that's that's what those those of us who are doing the kind of work that I'm doing, maybe that's really, really important right right now because what we're faced with is a sense of a lack of humanism. Yes. So to remind ourselves constantly that no, 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 not not to distract ourselves from what's going on, but to remind ourselves that there there are these parts of us that are really quite quite wonderful that we need to work to hold on to here here yeah thank you shani you know i mean one of the interesting things is um about poetry is that it can be 
it can be all kinds of things and you've almost you know so so often people try to create poems that are like other poets poems and you know there are also these these forms these forms that are already set i have one poem in there that's a form and it's the villanelle right and i think um i think the reason that i do not want i tried i just did it as a um uh, as an experiment but the reason that i do not want to be forced into a form is because and i think this has to do with my gender and with fighting gender fighting um race fighting all kinds of boxes that i, I was supposed to be mm-hmm. in since i was a child and it's a, it's in in poetry it's like no this is not a place i want to be forced into a box this is a place of freedom i wanted to say that to you actually about this particular book um keen fire for me was really more um of a of a an artwork than a poetry book in the sense that i was free 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 i didn't know what was going to come of it and i wanted to build i just wanted to to build an artwork that had lots of stories and images and so on and poetry because it can be so many things you know i i could call it a poetry book but it didn't have the structures and the forms and the the um the constant metaphoring that you find in poetry which can be a problem for me because i don't want things to be like things i want mm-hmm. them to be what they are that was a beautiful beautiful discussion thank you so so much International Women's Day. I've decided to step outside of my purview to speak about some of my favorite women writers beyond Canadian literature. Pen and paper in hand. Here are some of my personal recommendations for women writers from around the world. The House of the Spirits by Chilean American writer Isabella Allende. Possession by the British novelist A.S. Byatt. Anything at all by the Italian writer Elena Ferranti. Room by the Irish writer Emma Donoghue, and Americana by the Nigerian writer Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Feel free to send me some of your favorites, and thanks for listening. That was Getting Lit with Linda, hosted by Linda Mora. If you have a topic you would like to see covered, write to us at gettinglitwithlinda at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you continue to get lit.